In Chapter 3 of Screenwriter Survival Guide, it's writing, writing, writing. I sat down with screenwriter Michael Ross to talk about how to make the transition from assistant to screenwriter, how to advocate for yourself while making the most out of every opportunity that comes your way, and how to balance your personal projects when you're staffed on a show. Let's face it. Hollywood is a lot, but for many of us, it's the only life we can imagine. I'm Sam Brooks, and my goal with this podcast is to take not-yet-screenwriters from their first homesick night in Los Angeles all the way to the red carpet. Welcome to Screenwriter Survival Guide. Today on the Screenwriter Survival Guide, I'm chatting with the first professional screenwriter we've had on the show. And we're going to talk about, you guessed it, writing. After receiving his bachelor's degree from Willamette University, today's guest decided he hadn't had enough of school yet and went back for his master's in film at USC. When he finished the program, he dove headfirst into the entertainment industry, working on shows like Kane, The Cleaner, and even a little indie series called Breaking Bad as an assistant. All of this work paid off, and his first written episode aired in 2012, the season one episode of Switched at Birth entitled Tree of Forgiveness. Since then, he's written, on, he's written more episodes of Switched at Birth, episodes of The Baker and the Beauty, and has even been nominated for a daytime Emmy for his work on the Go90 series Relationship Status. He's currently staffed on the hit Netflix show Firefly Lane. So without further ado, it is my great pleasure to welcome to the show Mr. Michael Ross. Michael, welcome. Hi, Sam. That was a very good intro, too. I, I felt fancy hearing that. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes having it all lined up uh, all at once can kind of make you feel like, oh, yeah. How I was like, oh, I've done some stuff, I guess. Great. <laughs> you, you made me feel good about my life and my career, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Sometimes you got to take a look back and just like put it all in perspective. Be like, yeah, that's helpful. Cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for coming on. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I always like to start off by asking, what's your story? Where are you from? Uh, when did you know you wanted to be a screenwriter? How did you come to LA? All that kind of thing. So, I mean, what's interesting, I think, as far as my story and as it relates to my career is that I've had a very linear climb in some ways in a way that I think is a little bit sort of deceptive because it's becoming rarer and rarer to be like, I moved to LA, I went to grad school, I got a PA job, then I got a writer's PA job, then I was a writer's assistant, then I got a freelance, then I got staffed. Um, mm -hmm. And when I hear it all laid out like that, it does feel very linear. Um, as you said, I, I went to USC for graduate school pretty much right mm -hmm. out of undergrad. And I got my MFA in screenwriting. I grew up in Seattle, I went to school in Oregon. Um, and I was fortunate enough that like I was able to do grad school. Okay. People ask me a lot if an MFA is a good idea if you're pursuing this mm -hmm. career, and I would honestly say no. Um, okay. I was fortunate enough that, A, I was young, so I was kind of stupid and was like, oh, I'll do whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, it didn't put me into such a mountain of debt that I haven't been able to get out of it. So that mm -hmm. would be my biggest caveat is like, it's not necessary to, right. to do this. For me and honestly the most helpful part was a that i had really great writing professors in graduate school mm -hmm. um which i think is somewhat lucky because i do hear from a lot of people who have done similar programs mm -hmm. 
that they, you know, their professors felt like frustrated creatives or weren't attentive or weren't, right, right. they might've been great writers, but not great teachers. And I just, I, I don't, I got lucky. I had great teachers. Um, and those classes were largely, the writing classes were like workshop style. So it was sort of great training ground for a writer's room, which is the place I always knew I wanted to be. Right. Um, so, you know, you sit at a table and people, everyone read your pages for the week. And then you're like, I'm going to sit here and have everyone tell me like what's terrible mm -hmm. about these and what needs work. <laughs> and you, you develop that thick skin or you don't, and you learn how to take a note. And even if it's a stupid note, learn how to go. I think one of the best things I learned in school was like, listen for the note under the note. Right. Cause you know, people, people love to do this thing where they'll say like, you'll give them a note and they go, well, you just didn't understand it. And it's like, maybe they didn't, mm -hmm. but like maybe as the writer, there's a reason they didn't understand it. And you they can go like, oh, maybe <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so, I think there's, there's there's often a note people people give. Sorry, I, I totally cut you off in the middle of no, your no, answer. No, no, please, please. Um, but there's always, there's often a note where people say like, oh, well, you just weren't reading closely enough. Or like, you, you just, there, I planted that earlier. And it's like, well, okay, but maybe uh, you should have made it more enticing so people wanted to read it yes. more thoroughly. The other um, thing is, I mean, you can say, yeah, you weren't reading closely enough, but that's mm -hmm. sort of presuming that every rep and executive and actor mm -hmm. and director and whoever who reads your script is going to be reading closely. And they're not like right. when you're, I've been on the other side of staffing where we're reading writers for staffing. And it's like, I do, I've read a hundred scripts for Baker and the Beauty. Right. So like it, like, yeah, I'm not reading probably the most carefully that I could, but like your script better not force me to have to pay so much right. attention. It should not make me mention, want to, but. Not to mention the audience, I think. Like yes. people don't watch TV like in a darkened room, like like it's a movie theater. Like especially today yeah. with phones and stuff, everyone's on their phone. I was watching Mayor of Easttown and I was like trying to not be on my phone. And it's- I'm always it's so ashamed hard. of myself when I am. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like yeah. you do it. Yeah. Um, so sorry, I don't know if you had more to that uh, answer before I so rudely um, brought us um, on. No, you were not rude. I mean, so <laughs> the, the, the second part sort of, of, I think what really benefited me was going to USC, I was really open. It was a two year program and the summer in between, I was like, I'm gonna just like kill myself interning. Mm -hmm. And I think because I was young, I was super open to that. And I think a lot of people who were in my class who were a bit older or more had mm -hmm. had a career before that or had families, weren't either in that position or didn't really feel motivated to do that. So I mm -hmm. interned at the E network in development, which is kind of fun. Like they were do doing reality, mm -hmm. but I was like, this is a cool way to like, I got to go to the television critics awards and right. or the, there's like all that stuff. Like you get to mm -hmm. feel like you're in TV. And then I interned for a small boutique management company and it was only two managers and like two assistants. And I just happened mm -hmm. to sort of, click with one of the managers and he asked to read my work and gotcha. that was 2007 and i'm still repped by him so gotcha. that was sort of a huge boost was mm -hmm. i was willing to to go pick up their lunches and stuff and right. read, read you know submissions and i was able to develop a relationship with that manager who i would not have a career without so right that was the really useful part of like, I was eligible for internships because of that program. And then it set me on my path. So, yeah. And was this, was this the start program? No. So it was just, I was in the MFA screenwriting program. Okay. Um, so less prestigious than the start program, but also clearer what we were trying to do. 
So that right. can help. <laughs> yeah, that one seems just the the name, the Stark Producing Program, that somehow is also for screenwriters, is just it's, it's odd. Like right off, there's the bat, an intensity about it yeah. that I've never quite cracked. Um, but the people, I mean, it's a small program. The people who go through it do well, so right. they're doing something right. Right, right. Yeah. So, so where were you from originally? Was it seems like you kind of came into things with a pretty good understanding of the industry. Maybe it's all the school. Um, I did a but, bit. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have any relatives in entertainment. Like I, I was born in New York. We, I grew up in Seattle mostly. I went to my undergrad was like a small liberal arts school in Oregon. Um, I didn't have any real like LA connections, but I just like, I'm sure you can relate to this. Like I was, I was a writer from the time I was young before I knew I was like what that meant. Like I was, you know, I was forcing my brothers to make movies with me. And then I knew I was, yeah. I was so drawn to like the TV format. And when we were, I was probably like 12 or 13 and we got a camcorder and we started making this like, I'll call it a TV show called California Dudes in our garage. And it was just like this very demented version of Saved by the Bell. Okay. Um, and it was, I, it's so, it's embarrassing for me now if anyone were to see it. But if I watch a good friend of mine who was all, our like next door neighbor, she and her husband put them all on DVD for me a couple of years ago. Oh, and like, <laughs> they're, I mean, they're funny-ish to me. They're good. It's very nostalgic, but I can sort of see the seeds of everything I do in my current writing. Like, right. it's like kind of a soap, but with this very demented comedy to it. Okay. Um, and it's really funny to be like, oh, I was like 12, like forcing my brothers and our best friends yeah. to make this thing that I could probably refashion into a pilot now. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely done that. I've definitely like when I'm just short on ideas, been like, okay, what's some terrible movie that had like an interesting premise that I made? Yes, yes. I love that. That's a great jumping off point. Like, what did I want to like, but I didn't? And how would I make it differently? Yeah. And I think that that thing of like getting DVDs out of the blue um, is just something that it's it's like a it's an uh, occupational hazard of being a writer, I think, where Mm -hmm. someday you're going to get some like, like some like, almost joke gift from someone being like, here's something really embarrassing you, you did when you were a kid. Um, it's now <laughs> on film forever that everyone can see. It's like, I like having it. And I like also yeah. having the DVD in a place where no one, including my boyfriend who I live with will find it easily. Right. Yeah. My parents <laughs> a few years ago, like unearthed something, some like music video I did that was like super embarrassing when I was like, I think like 10 or something. And my mom swears she's going to play it at my wedding reception. So yep. yeah, it's like one of those things. It's like, oh, I guess I got to just like lean into it now at this point. <laughs> I think I, I think if you reframe it a little as like, this was the beginning of me figuring out right. what I wanted to be doing. And it's like, I mean, it's probably embarrassing, but like everything we did when we were 12 years old was embarrassing. I yeah, say. yeah. So... Yeah, and I, I did like to look back sometimes at them and be like, "Oh yeah, okay." So I, I have I have gained skill. Whenever I'm like like really bad day at the at the at final draft, I'm just like I have no talent. Um, to like look back and be like, "Okay, at least I'm better than that." <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it's like honestly, it's a mark. Of, I mean, all silliness aside, it's a mark of your progress. And it's also like, oh, I started like that raw. Yeah, and I've I've like taken so much in, and I've practiced my craft, and I've developed it into something obviously much more recognizable as like. Right. professional product yeah 
That's great. Uh, so you've written on like a number of great shows, but I kind of want to start uh, with your work as a writer's assistant. Um, so you worked as an assistant on a number of shows from Switch to Birth, Hitch, Rogue, and most recently Day of the Dead. And you're also a writer's PA on a couple of shows. Um, so during that time, you must have been working on your own writing. So how did you fit that writing, your writing time into your work schedule? What was that kind of dynamic like for you? So this is another place where I feel like I might be super fortunate because I mm. love writing in the morning. Like I love okay. getting up. And so some backstory that is sort of relevant, but not is I was a figure skater growing up. So I skated from the wow. time I was like 11 till I was like 24. Okay. So we practice super early. And like I would uh -huh. be during college, I'd get up at four, drive an hour to the rink to mm. practice in the morning. Got so it. I think as sort of once I started grad school, that was when I finished skating. And I was so in a rhythm of getting up at like 4.30 or 5 and starting my day mm -hmm. that almost all the writing I did during grad school in particular, I would do in the mornings because I was like, I am great from like 5 to 9. And then huh. it burns. And I kind of know yeah. that's often even with like, I don't want to say terrible PA jobs because I haven't, I again, like didn't really have a terrible one, which is lucky. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, the hours suck. They're bad. And yeah. My very first industry job job was I was a production office PA on this CBS show called Kane, which you had mentioned. Uh -huh. um, and you know, those hours are wretched. Like I would, go, you know, I'd go to work at 10 a.m. on like if our call time was 10, and I'd be at the office till 2 a.m. because we would we have to print scripts and then I'd, what happened? I was just the hours. Yeah. No, just the hours suck. Yeah. <laughs> I remember we. So this was just before like iPads and uh -huh. none of the executives were capable of like reading a, a PDF on their <laughs> computers. So we'd have to print scripts every time a new draft came out and then someone would have to print out MapQuest directions and go deliver them. So I'd be driving around from like midnight to 3 a.m. some nights and you know, the hours are terrible, but like you kind of just carve out your time. So a lot of mornings yeah. I would just write from like six to eight before work. And it's like, you can get a lot done if you write one hour a morning. Right. Steadily and consistently. Not like, oh, I did an hour. I'm not going to do anything for a week. Right, but, right. So I think that's kind of been my thing. And I've also been really protective sometimes of my lunch hours. And I'll mm -hmm. like, I'll go peel off and work. I, I have this other thing I do. So switch it. This is jumping ahead a little bit to take us yeah. out of the timeline. <laughs> but Switch at Birth filmed at a studio like an hour north of LA. So every day I'd have this commute Shit. and I started using my phone because I was like, I got to use this time. I'm going to go crazy. And it was like right before mm -hmm. podcasts were really a thing. So I was like, right. I could listen to like another like hour of Britney Spears or I could <laughs> use this time. Mm -hmm. So I started like getting, you know, using voice notes on my phone and I would just start dictating like outline type things or like, Huh. dictating a scene into my phone and then I'd like get to work and on my lunch hour, I would like transcribe what I'd done or whatever. Huh. Um, That's interesting. That was amazing because it was like, it almost didn't feel like writing in a good way because it wasn't, there was no pressure. Right. But then like, you probably had something more usable than you thought at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And a great. lot of times I always, I sort of, sorry, I'm jumping to like, just kind no, of everything. But no. I always say this thing where like, if I'm stuck, I never... I never feel like I have writer's block, but it's not because I don't get it. It's because I think I have developed some tools to get around it. It doesn't mean the content mm -hmm. is good, but I, 
one of my things is like, I'll, if I can't figure out how to start something or like, if I'm not feeling motivated, I'll set mm -hmm. a timer on my phone for like, it's always seven or 12 minutes. I don't know why those. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, just write the crappiest version of this huh. for seven minutes. And almost always you're like, okay, I was stuck because the scene needs to go from like A to B, but I put too much in this scene and it's trying to go from A to like F. So I right. need to split these off or I need to start later. Mm -hmm. Like it almost always clarifies what I'm actually blocked on. And I'm rarely blocked on like wanting to write. I'm blocked on like something logistical about what I'm trying to write. Yeah. I think one thing I've heard from a lot of people and I, it, it took me a really long time for it to actually resonate with me, but now it totally does is this idea that like when you're blocked on something, just like stepping away from the computer and then like and that next night or like I'll be on a hike that next weekend. I'll be like, Oh my God, I get it. I get how to make yeah. this not suck now. Um, and I think, but the problem with that is like, I'm like, okay, I want to set this time aside to write every day. So what do I do if I'm blocked on something and I, I, I want to finish my writing time for the day, even though I know I, I won't figure this out until later. And I think the answer, like you said, is just write the shitty version. Like there's no, yeah. I've, like, I've had days where I'm like, this is just an off day. I feel bad today. Maybe yeah. I like, like didn't sleep well last night or something. I just feel like shit today. And I still write like as many, like as many pages as I can get done. But then like, I've had days where I literally like look the next day. I'm like, yeah, I'm just deleting everything I did yesterday. It's just, it's gone. It doesn't exist. But like, but you did it. Yeah, exactly. And then like some part of that's still in the back of your brain. And there's probably at least one line of that that's good or one little tiny beat of that that can be used. Or maybe there or isn't. Or something but, like, where you, but yeah. like you, I think you'll do that and you'll go like, oh, I see that like, here's where the scene has to turn. And mm -hmm. you at least understand that. So then when you sit down with like a fresher brain, you've got that. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'd say I agree with you. Like I don't really get writer's block, like in the sense that people talk about it, or you see in movies where like someone's just staring at a blank page for like hours on end. For me, it's like, if I have writer's block for a day, it'll be like, I just write real slow that day. And, and you, I, I mean, knowing like you from like knowing you and you're like your social media, like you yeah. write very consistently, like you're good at that, which I think yeah. is, is really, really important. It's like, it's such a cliche, like just write every day, but like, Right. Just write something every day because like yeah. you, you're just oh, you're keeping that muscle sort of like loose. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it, it's, yeah, it is. It's, it's important to keep that creative gene. Like I, I was, well, the show I worked on when I first got out here was like an interview show and we had a, it was like motivational, like business people. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, there was one guy who came on that show who said like every, every morning he starts off the morning by just writing out 10 ideas. And sometimes they're fucking terrible. Yeah. Many times they're terrible. But like it just keeps that creative muscle going, and I think that's the same thing. That's the same reason. Like, and honestly, like this year especially, I've been developing stuff, and like I've kind of like had a little bit more like movement in my career. So like, if I look at like, oh, my out my output for this year isn't as good as like it was last year in terms of actual pilots I've done. I have like one good pilot, one pilot I don't love so much, so much, and like one feature, and. That, that honestly that, that's from this year that's a good like, year though I, I will finish what you're saying <laughs> i have a thought on that as well yeah i mean on, that that is oh, that's like it definitely some of this started last year uh end of last year so it's not super fair to say that's that's one year but yes uh, but i think like so like you're saying like it doesn't need to be that you're writing uh a new pilot something coming out of a new pilot every day but you're just writing something every day so sometimes it's like just going over a pilot i've done fifty thousand times or like outlining some new project i have yes. to do um for I, a 
Yeah, sorry. I have two two responses mm -hmm. to that. The first of which is yeah. you're absolutely right. I think just write. I want to say just write something because like it, mm -hmm. it's not helpful if you know if you're knowingly writing crap. Mm -hmm. But if it's if it's a step toward developing something great, and sometimes mm -hmm. what I write is like I will free associate for a page. I'm like, what if there was a story about this? It could be like this. It, right. could, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't look like a thing I could show someone, mm -hmm. but it's it's an hour of going like digging in. And I yeah. find it very, very useful to sort of spend time, even if I just have like Microsoft Word open, mm -hmm. just going like, I really like the movie, blah, blah, blah. I thought mm -hmm. the ending was really shitty. What would I have done differently? I would have written it like yeah. this and I would have had the main huh. character need this arc instead. And then all of a sudden you're like, I see something here, huh. which is helpful. The other thing I was gonna say is, I think I, the advent of sort of like, creative social media by which i mean like screenwriting twitter in particular uh-huh has this and it, it also goes hand in hand with this sort of like side hustle like always be hustling like let's get this bread culture where it's like mm -hmm. glorifying like never resting and never taking a break and never sleeping right. and writing and writing and writing and working yeah there's this very like demented mindset i see online where it's like i've written 12 features this year and i'm like <laughs> if you are somehow writing 12 features this year, that's great. I can almost guarantee nine to 11 of them are shit. Yeah. And you don't need to be writing 12 features a year. You need to be sort of refining your two or three great mm -hmm. statement pieces. Yeah. Hmm. And then finding the next one. And writing is also not just writing pages in final draft. It's spending the time going, I have mm -hmm. three ideas. I'm going to spend an hour on each of them, see which one is leading me somewhere. Then I'm gonna spend some time reading things to take in like what I could, you know, to enrich that. Mm -hmm. um, but writing is not just like hammering out scripts. And like, right. I have right now, honestly, I am a like a working rep writer. I have three mm -hmm. samples that we use. And wow. <laughs> this year I'm finishing a, a pilot. I have two pilots that I'm like in the process of finishing. So I'll have two new ones. We'll probably retire one of the other ones. But like, mm -hmm. I don't have 30 scripts in my back pocket. And again, I'm, I'm yeah. a TV writer more, so I'm less, less focused on a sale and more focused on just like getting my voice on a page and representing yeah. me while I get staffed. But I think there is something a little bit toxic and crazed about this idea that you need to be, no one, no one who's a good writer is writing 10 mm -hmm. scripts a year. Right. You might, you might go like, I have a great idea. I'm going to write the shittiest version of it just to mm -hmm. sort of un start understanding what it is. You could yeah. write 10 of those a year easily. But like, mm -hmm. I kind of think when you're doing that, and again, maybe I'm just slow and I, my output is lesser. I'm sure there are people who are capable of writing 10 great pilots in a year or whatever. But mm -hmm. I, I think it often is, it becomes like a quantity over quality game. Yeah. And you might've written 10 scripts, but if not one of them is a fully actualized version of not only that story, but who you are as a writer, yeah. then I don't know if they're gonna serve you. And I think that's kind of the most important thing that I, I observe, cause I've been in rooms and on the side where we're hiring the writers is like, mm -hmm. what is this script telling me about what you specifically are bringing to this writer's room? Hmm. Not just, can you think of a log line and then bash out a story that follows all the rules? 
That's interesting. And I think that's sort of, that's something that gets lost in a little bit of the, in the social media conversation is like, right. you can, you could you could write 12 hours a day and still not have like shown me or shown whoever that you have an interesting POV. And if mm-hmm. you have one great script that does that, as long as it's not the mm-hmm. only thing you've ever sat down to write and you just don't right. write otherwise, like one, one great script that has like actualized sort of your voice and your mm-hmm. persona and what you'll bring to a room and a project is so much better. Hmm. Yeah, that is, that's super interesting. This is definitely getting into areas because I've, you know, never staffed in a show. I'm unwrapped. Um, so this is definitely getting to areas I'm not as super well versed in, but it sounds like it makes a ton of sense. Um, so I guess this kind of translates well. Yeah, sorry, I, I sort of jumped. So like, take me wherever you need to. No, absolutely. And that's the whole point. The whole thing I said in the first episode, <laughs> talking to people who are smarter than me in specific in, uh, areas of the industry, every time, to- like every episode. I was going to say, not point. smarter, just like more practical experience to speak from at the moment. So <laughs> jury's out, jury's out on smart. You, you might very well <laughs> I'm, be. You know I'm not that smart. You, you know me, I'm not that smart. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that, but, um, <laughs> Uh, so you, you, did you write, so when you got staffed on, uh, switch to birth, let's kind of back it up to there. So you've been an assistant for, uh, how, how many years was it? It's 2012. So, so like five years, let's say. So here's a, uh, correction slash fact. I never actually was staffed on switch to birth. I was a writer's right. assistant for right. three and a half years there. And I'm still, mm-hmm. I'm close to the showrunner. She's a good friend. Mm-hmm. They were great to me. They just, I wrote freelance episodes three seasons in a row. Okay. Um, and they and just add the uh, an assistant, a writer's assistant. Yeah, I was the writer's, okay. I was the in-room writer's assistant. The last season I was there, which was the third season of the show, they were kind enough because I, they, they promised me an episode because they weren't able to staff me just because of like mm-hmm. people's contracts and budgets. And I mean, that's what they right. said. I assume they didn't think my writing was that bad because they gave me an episode, but mm-hmm. they weren't able to staff me. So they promoted the writer's PA, who's like a close friend of mine to this day to sort of like co-writer's assistant so that okay. when I, I could pitch in the room and also write my episode. Okay. Um, so I, I was never a staff writer at that show, but I got to write three okay. episodes, which is amazing. I got to be on set to produce the episodes. And then I got to wow. go to set. Like, As a writer's we, like, assistant, that's crazy. Yeah, it was, I mean, that's why I say like, I know, I think especially in sort of the current conversation, which is very much about um, fairness to assistants and all that, mm-hmm. like I think, maybe this doesn't sound as positive as I'm spending it. But at the time mm-hmm. I was like, I'm 28. I'm, I'm writing like my fourth episode of TV. Right. They're letting me go to set to sit with the director and yeah. work with the actors and learn. So like mm-hmm. as a writer's assistant, I had produced three hours of television before yeah. I ever got staffed. So like that is invalid. They weren't, it wasn't abusive. It was just sort of like, this is what it is. And I was like, I'm choosing to, stay in the writer's assistant job knowing that I'm also getting to write episodes. So and that is, I think that is so, so smart. I think like this is, I don't, <laughs> I'm going to try really hard not to like do a soapbox rant here real quick. But um, I, I think this, this notion, like, yes, obviously you can get uh, taken advantage of. And it, yes. a lot of what has happened with pay up Hollywood has been really great. But I do think that there's this notion of like, give me like, let things be easy for me. And there isn't like, I don't think we should be aiming for that because like you said, like if you're like, I want, you know, nine to five and that, that those are going to be my hours and you have to pay me $15 an hour and you can't ask me to do any work that isn't 
write note, take notes in the writer's room. I think that that's like, you would never have had your, you would never have gotten your episodes. I have no career. Yeah, exactly. I think that is like this thing that is so lost in, you know, I don't like to agree with the, the whole, like, you know, baby boomer sentiment of like entitled millennials, but I do think there is this, or like into my generation, especially, I think it's arguably worse, but I do think there is one, that one element of like, Yes, it, we should all be treating each other with respect. Everyone has a certain, everyone has worth and we should treat people with respect and not be assholes to them. But also yes. you need to take responsibility as an individual and work to make your career forward and think, is what I'm doing right now demanding that I work less hours and do less different work? And like, I'm not going to necessarily uh, agree to stay until 2 a.m. to you know Xerox scripts and send them to people's houses. Like, <laughs> is this going to work for me? Like, and I think as a system, yes, we should 100% be working to uh, give assistants better hours. But as the assistant, you need to think, is this going to work for my career or is it hurting my career to do this? It's and- a balance because it is like, look, mm-hmm. we should be, assistants should be making a living wage. I mean, I, yeah. it is crazy when I look back at some mm-hmm. of the early shows I did, how little money I was making. And before I was getting like, switch at birth, that's the other thing I'll say for them is they kept their word on giving me scripts. Mm-hmm. So that offset where I was, you know, I was obviously making minimum wage. So I was, I was being paid a legally fair rate, but it's still right. crazy low. And I think my yeah. bosses would even admit like, that's just how it was in 2012 mm-hmm. and 13. But like they came through and gave me those scripts and I got residuals. And so for those three mm-hmm. years, I made not staff writer money, but good enough money for someone who's right. 28 years old starting out. Like mm-hmm. it was fine. Um, yeah. That said, you know, there's a lot of complicating factors now. One is that like, there's so many short, or we were doing 22 episodes a season for Switch to Birth. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, there's eight episode orders where it's like, no one's getting a chance to move up or limited series. Yeah. Like you really yeah. get stuck there. And I think the bigger, the bigger issue, which is a thousand percent valid is like, I'm like, I'm a white dude who comes from, mm-hmm. you know, a, a background where my parents could afford to send me to college and mm-hmm. they could help me a little if I was, having a bad yeah. year and people, those assistant positions are not conducive to anyone, mm-hmm. anyone coming from a position of less privilege. Mm-hmm. You can't live in this city on, on that. So I think all that work is incredibly important. As you said, mm-hmm. also, I do think there's a little bit of a, I won't even call it entitlement, but I'll call it maybe a, a misunderstanding of the system mm-hmm. now. And I noticed this a lot in the, um, I don't know if you're on Twitter following any of this conversation, but like the pre-WGA like pipeline writers stuff. Um, okay, not really. I'm not not super on Twitter. I, I should to... read less of it because it, it <laughs> frustrates me and I want to sort of both simultaneously scold and help people. But like, <laughs> you're not going to do, there's no guarantee that doing one season as a writer's assistant does mm-hmm. not mean that at the end of those 10 episodes, you get staffed. Right. It's, it's yeah. an opportunity. Again, it's a paying job with its own responsibilities, mm-hmm. they have no responsibility. And I, I sort of hate that I sound like I'm defending like the man right now, because it's so, that's right. so not me, but like, right, right, right. <laughs> you, they have no responsibility other than to pay you a fair wage, mm-hmm. be supportive and not abusive and not take advantage of you. So yeah. you could do six seasons of that and just take your notes and do the research as asked. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've done their part as long as they're kind right. to you. Um, yeah. There is no guarantee, and this was not even true in, in, in a world where every, you know, shows ran from September to April and there was a, it was 22 episodes. 
there is no no guarantee that doing a good job as a writer's assistant or a script coordinator means you are getting staffed the next season. Mm-hmm. Nor should there be. That right. said, it's also completely ridiculous that showrunners pretend they don't know that people in those positions want, I was going to say want to be writers, but are writers mm-hmm. who are working to like cultivate their careers. Um, so it, go, it goes both ways. Yeah. I, I do think there's like a, a a misunderstanding of how that pipeline works sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's, if those positions can just get paid a living wage and mm-hmm. not be sort of overseen by people throwing things at your head, which is obviously like unacceptable or, you know, um, taking advantage in more subtle ways. Yeah. Like it's a job in and of itself. And that's valid. It's a chance to meet and connect and prove mm-hmm. yourself. And I would not have a career if the showrunners of Swish at Birth hadn't been like, Hey, would you want to take a stab at writing a scene? We're really behind. And if you, if you'd like to, like I got an episode because I wrote a scene and it was good or good enough. Um, so I do, th- it's just, it's, it's a more nuanced conversation than I think yeah. some of the people involved in it are mm-hmm. maybe understanding that said, like pay up Hollywood in and of itself, I think is, yeah. Yeah. is overdue and, and I think doing incredible yeah. things. And I think the money aspect of it, I was never saying, I'm not, I'm never at any point saying that the assistant shouldn't be paid more. Absolutely. They should. No, 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 um, yeah. I, yeah. And I, of course, as another, you know, white man who, uh, you know, my parents also were able to help me, you know, come here uh, and, you know, help me out when I was an uh, intern, allow me to do those shitty jobs that, you know, no one wanted to yep. do. And I think um, I, I, yeah. So I a hundred percent agree that there are, there are limiting factors. I think it's just like, once you have that job, it's about like, is complaint is getting mad about like, I'm being asked to write a scene and I'm not getting paid for it. Like I heard, I think there was some, I can't remember what show it was, but some podcast was talking about how, like um, basically exactly what you're saying, how you got your first um, uh, episode. uh, Someone asked them to write a scene and you, you assume, I assume you didn't get paid for that scene. Right. No, but it was like, yeah, I was writing a scene for another episode yeah. or for somebody else's episode. Yeah. It was like, and there was knock it out of the park. Yeah, and someone was saying, I think someone mentioned on this this other show I was listening to that was like, uh, that was a bad thing that they should they have to pay. And it's like, okay, but maybe it maybe maybe okay, yes, maybe technically on the grand scheme of like labor laws and OSHA, that isn't tech, but is it helping your career move forward? Probably yes. Even if you it's don't get staffed. It's very staff complicated. Up. I think where it becomes tricky is again where it becomes an expectation that assistants are going to to do that that's where it gets ugly i think being offered a few and again so my i will give her a shout out becky hartman edwards is like sort of my mentor i'm currently on a show with her she was a co-ep on switch at birth that first season Mm -hmm. and i wrote a couple scenes because she like we were just in one of those scrambles where it was like script is due in like two days we need all hands on deck Mm -hmm. and so she and lizzie weiss who was the creator of the show we're like, hey, Michael, if you want to write a scene or two, like, we'd love to have you take a swing at it. And it was sort mm-hmm. of very low pressure, but they were really good at recognizing, they were like, they knew they were giving me an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to conceive of a world where that opportunity is not allowed. The Screenwriter Survival Guide is brought to you by GetMeAnAgent.com. This is a different sort of ad. No money is exchanging hands here. 
Why? Because Get Me An Agent is my company. Whoa. For less than $20 a month, Get Me An Agent is the fast pass to hundreds of Hollywood lit agents and their contact information. Plus 24-7 support from actual industry professionals via live chat and email, free email templates to help you reach out, and so much more. Want personalized help? Send us your script and we'll match you with five agents and five managers who've worked on similar projects to yours. I'm super excited to be offering listeners of Screenwriter Survival Guide a very special deal. You'll get one free month plus half off your subscription forever when you use the discount code SURVIVE at checkout. That's S-U-R-V-I-V-E. Now, I'm going to level with you. As of recording, I don't personally have representation. I say this to clarify that Get Me an Agent is by no means a panacea. As anyone who works in the industry will tell you, there are no shortcuts to the hard work of becoming an excellent writer and building your Hollywood network. What Get Me an Agent provides is a way to connect young screenwriters with their most important connection in the business, their reps. And we've already connected many of our customers with agents. So try it out risk-free today. Visit getmeanagent.com and try a free month with no commitment. And when you're ready to take the leap, use the discount code SURVIVE to get half off your plan forever. Alright guys, now back to the show. I do think that leaves a little bit of it on, unfortunately, on showrunners to understand where the line is. Like mm-hmm. writing a scene or two is a great opportunity. I think when you start mm-hmm. expecting that assistants are going to do that and there's no payoff, right? That's where it gets. Yeah, you're taking advantage at that point. That said, again, I would not have a career basically if Lizzie and Becky and Paul Stupin, who's the other showrunner, didn't didn't sort of allow us to do that. Mm-hmm. and weren't open yeah. I, I i see people complaining on twitter like you know they celebrate like when a showrunner says oh my god or i think this happened on wandavision like i'm trying to remember the show but like someone tweeted like oh my god our writer's assistant pitched that twist and i was reading the discourse and it was like half of it was like oh my god that's amazing and half of it was mm-hmm. like basically fuck you for having your writer's assistant do that that's the writer's yeah. job right and, sorry i hope i can say fuck you on this yeah you're totally right, out. man um, <laughs> But like, but it's like also fuck you for not recognizing that like they just gave somebody an opportunity and yeah. a boost and they are clearly recognizing their talent. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, I, I don't know that it was WandaVision for some reason that's stuck in my head, but like, right. hopefully they then were also like, wow, you really proved yourself. Here's mm-hmm. another opportunity. Like, right. That's how careers happen. Yeah. So let's transition a little bit so your first so you weren't on switch to birth so then was baker and the beauty your first um staff job this this is sort of where my my story gets a little less conventional is all right switch to birth because we were on it was a basic cable show we were off off cycle Mm -hmm. for pilot season so when i chose to leave which was right before season four because they weren't able to staff me Okay. And I left on like great terms. With, like, again, I mm-hmm. am friendly with the writers. It's like, right, right. it's all good. But like, I chose to leave because I was like, I can't do another year of writer's assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So and I didn't work for all of 2015. I didn't work in the industry for all of 2015. Nice. And then I got a another writer's assistant job on, um, it was a direct TV audience network show called Rogue. And okay. then I was like, look, I'm, I'm happy to be working. I'm in a room. And that was a very different show from what I'd done before, mm -hmm. but like met some great people. I learned from some like interesting, different styles mm -hmm. of writing. And then Becky Harmon Edwards brought me on to pitch on, which was on Fox. Mm -hmm. And I wish that show had lasted like 10 years because it was so much fun <laughs> to work on and it was good. But we got canceled. Like we knew we were getting canceled basically by the time the second episode right. aired. Cause like the rate, like they just, it was Fox and I hope no one at Fox is going to get mad at me for this, but like <laughs> they clearly saw the ratings of the pilot and were like, eh, I don't know if we're going to invest that much in this. So like yeah. we sort of, we were having a ball working on the show and I was in the room, we got to be involved. Like it was really a fun show to work on, mm -hmm. but the writing was sort of on the wall. So when that ended, I was again like, oh my God, I've just done two like 10 episode shows and I'm mm -hmm. just still a writer's assistant. Right. And then um, a friend of mine who had been a script coordinator on a show I'd been a writer's PI, PA on like years before had sold relationship status to Go90, mm -hmm. which was Verizon's like streaming platform that didn't last that long. Right. <laughs> and she asked me to come in and meet on that show. Cause she kind of, I think we just like, I knew like her vibe. She knew my vibe and her name is Celine Geiger. She's wonderful. Uh -huh. She's writing on uh, Nancy Drew on the CW right now. Okay. And we did that show. We wrote 24 mini episodes in like 10 weeks. So we, I think they, the way they bundled them, it was like three, three per three mini episodes per package or whatever. So it was like, we basically wrote, I think eight sitcom episodes in 10 weeks. And wow. it was Split. four of us, um, Celine, me, Ali Shouten, who's now running iCarly on Paramount Plus mm -hmm. and AJ Marischal, who's wonderful. And like, just like one of those like minds that like I'm always in awe of cause she's so like creative and weird. Mm -hmm. um, but we had a blast doing that. We got nominated for a day 10 Emmy. And then off that, as soon as we wrapped that, I said to my manager, I was like, I just want to keep writing. Like, I don't want to go backwards. So what are we going to do? Right. And he got me a rewrite on a Hallmark movie. And then we sold another Hallmark movie the following year, which never got produced but, or Lifetime movie. Mm -hmm. Never got produced, but like, it sort of got me in the system. Mm -hmm. And there was a point somewhere in the middle of all that where I was like, oh shit, I'm a working writer now. <laughs> So it just kind of like, happened. Like, so there was no like moment. There is no one moment where you're like, oh, okay, I, I'm no longer an assistant. I'm a writer. That it was, just and I've like, gone back and forth a bit. So then it was, it was sort of bizarre because like I sold this movie and then I sold um, a podcast, which was, it was called The First Mrs. Claus. It was like kind of a comedy musical okay. starring Michelle Visage from uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay. Um, I had a friend who's like a straight dude who was produces RuPaul's podcast. And he came to me and he was like, Michelle wants to do something. He was like, I'm straight and I'm Jewish. So I don't know Christmas or gay stuff. <laughs> so like, if you want to pitch on it. And I came in with a pitch and he was like, oh my God, I love this. Michelle loved it. So we did that. We did the four episodes of that. We released them like between Thanksgiving and Christmas 2018. And I, I think just the act of being the creator of something and having had the Emmy nomination and all that, like, something just sunk in and I was like, Oh, I'm a writer. I need to stop hmm. pretending like I'm trying to be a writer. Right. 
And there was like a turning point that year. And then Becky, who I've mentioned several times already, was mm-hmm. brought on to co-run the Baker and the Beauty pilot for ABC. And she called me and was like, hey, I know you're working. Would you be willing to be the showrunner's assistant for this? Because I need mm-hmm. I need an assistant. And I promise to staff you if the show goes. But like, mm-hmm. I need kind of someone by my side to help me with all the logistical shit. And mm-hmm. so I went and I, I, honestly, it didn't even occur to me as like an ego thing. I was like, yeah, I'm going to take like a showrunner's assistant job. I don't care. Um, yeah. And we, she had a deal at Universal. So we had like, we had an office at Universal. We were in this cool bullpen with a bunch of other small production companies. Mm -hmm. I met some cool people, some of whom I'm like working with now in sort of like various stages of like little projects. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when the show, the show got picked up, she staffed me on it and it was great. And it was like a wonderful experience, but I've had a very (laughs) ping pongy sort of way out of the assistant world. Right. And I think the thing I would say is like, I'm lucky. I don't feel like I've been taking advantage of it all, but like, it's also okay to go back and forth. If you kind of know that you're getting a paycheck and credit and experience and relationships, like that's what's valuable. Right. I think it's so cool. Your career seems to me like you, you can really tell the transition from the old world into the new with your career. So like you started your first half of your career was very kind of, traditional you're on like a 20 20 episode show you're writer's writer's pa writer's assistant and then all of a sudden you can tell it seems like where the kind of 20 episode model the like you know uh full-time um like all year round almost uh writer jobs kind of fall off you see it break down in like 2016 like you see the right (laughs) and it's so fun and now you you did baker Uh, and i assume that wasn't was that was that that was probably more like 13 right no, so we did actually. That was very. It was unusual. So we did. I worked on the pilot, obviously, which is great. Mm-hmm. And then we we had an eight episode order beyond the pilot, so we did nine mm-hmm. total. So it was just a weird number. Um, gotcha. It is strange. And then of course Baker premiered like right when the pandemic happened. Yeah. And I think it. I don't know that. And I hope I'm not like speaking out of turn. I don't know that ABC totally knew what they wanted it to be. Um, and it did okay, but it was always a little, like, we were always kind of, I think, between us and the, it was two studios and a network kind of trying to find the show a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a great experience. Like, other, I think right. second to Switch to Birth, it's probably my favorite room I've been in. It was just, mm-hmm. like, it was a cool room. It was super diverse. Like, and they hired people who had, like, interesting life experience. And... Mm-hmm. It was just like a fun show to do, even though it was stressful because we were always kind of trying to like find the center, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we, were, we did nine episodes. So it was such a weird number. Yeah. And then that was sort of the point where I was like, there's no like, no reliable pattern to this. Right. Yeah, that's, it is. It is very funny. I think. That is, I think you mentioned it earlier, this, this kind of, there's, there's so many more shows now, but I think uh, it is, it is so much more patchwork now. So a writer needs to find patchwork is a good word for it. A number of different, probably there's no like, oh, this is my project for this year. And then hopefully we get picked up for season two. And then yeah. it's my project for 10 years, you know, yep. um, it's very interesting. It just, it changed and it's like, it kind of sucks, but you also have to either right. like kind of accept it or, yeah. or not. Like you, I don't know that resisting the reality is going to 
in and of itself change your fortune. Right. There's obviously stuff that needs to change. There's, there's studios taking advantage and some of the short order stuff is a little bit of bullshit mm-hmm. just in how they, how they game the numbers or game people's pay. Right. But like, but it is the reality, I think, of the way audiences are absorbing content. Mm-hmm. So we should work to make the new reality the fairest, most equitable system, mm-hmm. as opposed to just sort of like holding our pitchforks and demanding it be like it was in 2007. Right. <laughs> so when you, so as you kind of slowly realize you're no longer an assistant and you're all of a sudden you're working more on actual uh, like on actual shows and you're writing for these shows. How does that, this is one thing I'm super curious about as someone who I've never been staffed on a show, but I'm hoping these kind of things are going to happen in the next year or so. Uh, I, I might be completely off about that, but that's at least where I, my mind is. I would um, like to think that and I, I hope it happens for you. And I think it's completely realistic that it will. I, well, yeah, I think at least it, it helps my mind. You know, if, if I do this for seven years as an assistant and I, I don't get an episode until, you know, for seven years, <laughs> that's fine. But I can't think of it like that right now because I will burn out if I do that. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But I have to take it as like, oh, it's, it's right around the corner. Um, but I'm very curious, like how, it, it, as you're now working every day to uh, write episodes, like we had to kind of uh, uh put this episode off by a week or so so you yes. could uh, work on your episode of your current show um how, how are you still working on writing new uh personal projects or are you just like writing pitches and treatments for these projects how are you balancing kind of personal writing and development versus like the your you know day job writing and again it's a lot of like it's sort of carving at time and like i mm-hmm. i am the first to admit that when i'm in a room i'm also like a person who gets I'm all in when I'm in a room. Mm-hmm. So like I'm using my brain and my energy in service of the show I've been hired to work on. And there's mm-hmm. days like the room wraps and I'm like, I am fucking tired. Like right. I don't have anything left. So I, one of my tricks, which is not even a trick is just, I write in the morning because I wake up, mm-hmm. my brain's fresh. My boyfriend's not awake yet. I get up, I make a coffee at like five o'clock. And if mm-hmm. I write from five to seven, that's a great morning. And then I have time mm-hmm. to like, take care of my other stuff before work begins. Um, right. So it's just, it's, it's prioritizing your writing. I'm writing, I have two pilots that are sort of, I had finished, but I'm, this is always humbling. You know, you write something you're like, I think this is good. And then you're like, this isn't as good as it should be. And then you have to yeah. kind of refine it. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing that right now with two projects. It's obviously going slower than I planned. But my goal is sort of like, we wrap in, I think late September. By Halloween, I'll have both of these pilots really in a place they need to be. Um, so you just kind of, I, I think it's its important to sort of prioritize, but also be realistic. Like, mm-hmm. I think if you're prioritizing your sort of, your own projects over the show you're paid to work on, you're also not, not doing your job right. Like, right. So it's, you know, it's a balance. Yeah. Some, there are some weeks where I'm like, I'm not going to really, not that I'm not going to write at all, but I'm not going to go crazy because like we're having an intense week in the room. Right. And yeah. like, is my career going to tank because I didn't knock out seven revised pages of my pilot? No. Right. And then I know I got to hit it harder, like double hard the next week and mm-hmm. that's fine. Or I got to kind of find the time or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. but it's also okay to like, 
And I think this is this goes back to sort of this like toxic productivity thing on social mm-hmm. media. Like, give yourself a fucking break and right. say like, I worked really hard at my day job and I I pitched fifty things today that mm-hmm. like I didn't even know I was going to have to pitch. So maybe I don't have any creativity left for this pilot I'm trying. Mm-hmm. Also, like, create the world of that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, it's I struggle a lot with with taking breaks and not like beating myself up when I take breaks. And I think one thing I've I've started to try and like frame it as um, that's been really helpful for me is like taking a break is part of your writing because yes. if you just write nonstop and work nonstop, you have a law of diminishing returns. So there yes. are some careers where you can sit and you can do twelve hour days every day, and that will be good for your business or good for your career. That is, I don't think writing is like that. You just, you, it, it doesn't work like that because you will see a law of diminishing returns. For me, it's after like yes. an hour and a half of writing uh, with no breaks. I like, okay, I'm no, it's no longer good except for like very rare circumstances. Um, so I think yeah. like taking breaks is super important. We do this in our, I mean, we're all on Zoom right now. Our mm-hmm. room, we take every 60 to 90 minutes, we take a 10 minute break. And yeah. it's just like, I walk away from the computer, I go mm-hmm. outside, I get a coffee. Mm-hmm. I go like talk to my boyfriend, just like anything. It's like, I'm not doing this right now. And then I come back and like, you're in. But I think like breaks are okay. Sleeping is okay. (laughs) Like saying like I haven't slept in four days is not, doesn't mean you're a good writer. It means you are probably cracked out. Yeah, it means you're, yeah. (laughs) And you're, you're not. And the other thing about that is like, if you're not sleeping, you're not going to live as long as other people, like just statistically, you won't live as long. And so you won't have, you won't be able to have as uh, full a career just because of number of years. So that's the and other thing. I'll I'll say this, kind of, like, yeah. It's okay to be like, it's Sunday. I'm not going to write today. Like, yeah, that is okay. I think also like take in, read a book, see a movie, binge a show, go on a hike, see your friends, like yeah, live your life. Because I think- yeah. Not that I, this is far from like me thinking about it all figured out, but like mm-hmm. come back to your, and I, this is also a TV perspective, like a writer's room perspective, but like mm-hmm. come back to your work with interesting life experiences. Right. No one in a writer's room wants to hear, well, I wrote for 14 hours yesterday and I like, I have no personal relationships or interesting life, like right. stories or messy relationships, or I didn't like fuck yeah. someone I shouldn't have fucked or like, that's your currency in a writer's room so like that's why we have so many yeah that's why we have so many shows about writers living in la because yes if that's your only life experience that's all you're going to want to it's all you're going to know how to write about and that is why we have so many shows about writers go like go make mistakes (laughs) and obviously don't try to make mistakes but like (laughs) in the course of living your life you're going to make a mistake so like go on a bad date that's a story I think that's just like, that's advice that was never given to me, but I always sort of, I think I was just lucky enough to be around people who sort of like mm-hmm. prioritize living their lives because being a person makes you a better writer. Right. Yeah. That is something, that is something I've definitely like learned. And I definitely have, I, I take kind of influence and like mentors from very different, like very different corners of the industry. And they prioritize very different things in their life. And it's kind of interesting to see, well, okay, wait a sec. There there is some, you have to be writing often if you want to be a writer, but then you Mm -hmm. also have to live. And it's this interesting, you kind of have to, everyone has to kind of craft it for themselves, I think. It's really hard. everyone's different. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Before I ask my last question, uh, where can people find you online? And since we're talking with screenwriters who live for the hustle, I like to add this little curveball. Uh, what is one surefire way to get a response from you if people reach out? And likewise, what is one surefire way to make sure you delete their message sight unseen? Okay, so I'm on Instagram and Twitter. My username on both is this stupid phonetic spelling of my name because I have the most common name in the world and like every screen name is taken. So my username on both is at M-Y-K-L-E-R-A-U-S. Um, somehow in college, everyone started calling me Michael Rouse and I just stuck. So there's no combination of Michael Rouse that I can get on any social media. Um, so I can be found on Instagram and Twitter on both of those. Uh-huh. Um, I would say, I met you on Instagram, right? Like, Yeah, I think just, I was doing, I was reaching out to writers from uh, shows I'd watched. I don't know how. I don't know where I where I got you from. I don't from, know but, how you um, tell me, but like, but yeah, who reaches out and says like, "Hey, I'm interested in being a writer. I am a writer. I'm looking for advice. I, I want to talk about writing." That's always good. Like, so many people did stuff for me like that. Mm-hmm. I'm always happy to to you know exchange a few DMs or meet for a coffee or read a script or like that. Like, and sometimes like I'll read scripts from people who reach out to me, and I'm like this is really fucking good. Like now you make me like you lit a fire under me. Like (laughs) that's great. That's always, I think engaging about, about craft or about something funny or like, I will always respond to that because a, I don't have enough people reaching out to me where I have to like, you know, like have someone filter my responses. And also like, it's interesting. All I like, we're all writers and we're interested in entertainment. All I care about is entertainment. So (laughs) Right. A good opinion, a conversation, a, a like legitimate question. I will always respond to those. And I actually find them really like inspirational and, and personally helpful too, because they make mm-hmm. me want to work. So yeah. those are always great. Um, I would say on the flip side of that, insulting work I've been involved with or people I've worked with isn't great. Why would anyone think that's a good idea? I've each and again, like I am nowhere near. I'm not a public figure. No one knows my name. Like I have credits on shows that much more well-known people have worked on. I just happen to have worked on those shows. It is super weird to send me a message about how much you hate an actor who was in something I worked on. That's so weird. Like, I'm trying to think any context that that's a good idea. Like I, the I answer know is one never. Time. The answer is never. Yeah. I know one time, so one time I, I was applying for a job with the producer of, I'm not going to say it, but a, a movie that is widely known and mocked as being terrible. And I think I like made a little jibe in my cover letter, like a was joking. Was it The Room? No, it's not, it's not <laughs> quite that level. I mean, can you imagine if I was applying for a job? With no, I was like, like, I don't know this about you. I want to hear it. <laughs> no, it wasn't The Room. Um, it, I mean, I, it was The Happening. Um, oh, okay, that was not, yeah. I will say, not a great movie, but... Not, not great, but I, I honestly, I love that movie. It's terrible, but I love that movie. Um, and I think I made a joke, something along those lines. I was like, oh, like, I love your work, especially The Happening, or something like that. And yeah. hey, they reached back out and asked me to do coverage. They didn't like the coverage. But, um, so I think that would be one part of it. But that's not even an insult. That's like a joke. I don't know. Yeah, bad idea. Um, all right. It's where I have, so I, no, I will say on that front, I have a... A, a good personal friend who was in relationship status who had previously been on Days of Our Lives mm-hmm. and the amount of people 
who tweeted me stuff when the show came out about how much they hated her character on Days of Our Lives and thus hated her. I was like, I don't, what are you trying to get out of this? That seems like, I mean, honestly, it seems like they weren't trying to get anything out of it. Maybe they're just like, I don't know, want to be, I don't know, trolling? It was very strange. I was like, A, this is someone I clearly am friends with who is a working actor who was nominated for, her name's Molly Burnett. She was nominated for an Emmy for relationship status and for her work in daytime, I think. And she just wrapped like a four season arc on Queen of the South in USA. Like she's Mm -hmm. a lovely person and a great actress. Mm -hmm. The amount of people who DM'd me being like, I hated her character on days. She's terrible. I was like, what do you want out of this? What's the purpose? Do you want me to tell my friend that you think she sucks? Like, it's so weird. I I think people see it as like, it's not, not real people. Like they see your name in the credits of a show and they're like, oh, it's not a real person. Like, it's not like they don't really see you as a real person. They're just like, they'll never even see this. They're, you know, they're, they're not real humans on the other end of these Instagram accounts. That's, that's the real issue. You're correct. Yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. Don't just don't do that to people. Be like, I'd love to talk about this or I loved this. Would yeah. you be willing to talk? Or I'm, I'm interested in this thing. Like, yeah. there are a lot of versions that aren't, I hate you or I hate what you did or I hate a person you worked with. Those are not great ends. No, not at all. All right. (laughs) My final question. I always call this my screenwriter survival tip. So what's the most important thing you tell a young screenwriter to help them not only survive, but thrive in this industry? Form relationships. I think Mm -hmm. writers are introverts and I, Mm -hmm. by and large, I am, I'm very much an introvert, even though I'm also Mm -hmm. very like loud, but (laughs) I think there's a misconception that you can sit at your computer and write and that is enough. And unfortunately it's also a business and it's a mm-hmm. business that is very sort of informal and not, not businessy, especially right. on like our creative side of it. And I think there's a misconception that you can just, if you write something good enough, it will just be found. And right anyone who that is true for god bless you like Mm -hmm. that's my dream in a way it's not really that true right make like form actual relationships like if you're if you're lucky enough to be on a set or in a writer's room talk to people and don't just talk to them sort of about like i love your work or i love this thing you did or whatever like form a human relationship that is how i've gotten almost every job in my career is People, me managing to connect with people over shared interests or stuff we enjoyed watching or stuff we hated watching or our families or our pets or like, but be a human being with stories to tell. And that is like inherently appealing to people. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think, how you, how you find places to bring your work and use your voice and become it. Because I think people who are in a position to hire find interesting people with a point of view and a voice appealing in that way. And I think don't come into a writer's room and go, and I I have harped on this a bit, but like, don't just go. If somebody says, what'd you do all weekend? I wrote for 36 hours is kind of a boring answer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I went on a bad date. I went on, I planned this camping trip and we did this and I made this dinner because I love cooking and I followed Mm. this person and I fucked up this recipe. Like, (laughs) 
live an interesting life and then connect with people over both of your different but interesting lives. And I think that is, that is as useful as writing eight hours a day. You also need to write, but I think that is, I, I have gotten work because I've, I think, connected with people who then trusted that my point of view also is reflected in my writing. And hopefully my mm-hmm. like, writing samples have also shown that. But mm-hmm. like, that is, I think, something that's not, not understood or conveyed enough. Like, just be mm-hmm. an interesting person who's not only, hey, he's a great writer, she's a great writer, but like, mm-hmm. she's going to come into a writer's room every day and be like, ooh, I had this experience and maybe we could use it. Or here's a perspective right. you might not have had. That is, that's as much your currency as your mm-hmm. three great spec scripts. That is great advice. Yes, I think that is something. I, the other thing, I think it's so weird. I always find it so weird to try and create, like I always feel bad. Like so I had another, I had someone on the, the podcast the other day and once we were done film, once we were done recording, I'd like said, you know, the, the turn, you know, ended the podcast. We were just chatting. And I, I was like, oh, I want to invite this person out for drinks just because they seem <laughs> cool. But then I was like, I don't want to do that because I also don't want to seem like I'm like just being like, like trying to get ahead and trying to, uh, you know, trying to, to forge a relationship with this person. They were in a position that they could have helped my career if, you know, I had wanted, you know, to do that. I think like that is something I definitely struggle with. So I think, it is great advice for me. Certainly. I think most people mm-hmm. also, I will say very few people are opposed to forging a new relationship with an interesting person. I mm-hmm. think if what you're foregrounding is like, I want work. I, I want you to talk about work. That right. is probably a little, exa- I, I am not in this position because I am not this fancy, but like that is probably exhausting for people who, yeah. who have to sort of live their work because they're at such a high level. Mm-hmm. But like, most human beings want connection. Most, like you asked right. me to have coffee and I was like, yes, let's get coffee because like, mm-hmm. I always want to make new friends anyway. So like, you know, like there's always just the possibility you meet a cool new person, you never even work with them, but like they're interesting and you learn something about the world and right. you made a new friend. Like that's always good too. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. All right, we have gone super over this I know, has been sorry. Awesome. I'm, a, I'm a talker no, you should not apologize it's gonna be down and i you know i do the same thing i love to just like talk about the industry it is weirdly it's like i think a lot of writers do this but like i just love to talk about it so we got it's we fun. went on some great tangents hopefully people got something useful out of it i think this has been a great conversation uh don't forget to tune in next week um or we will be talking i'll be talking with director johnny santana about networking, which is kind of actually a great segue from your, uh, yeah, your screenwriter survival well. tip. Yeah, perfect, actually. Um, but until next time, guys, don't just survive, thrive. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. If you have questions about this episode, you can reach out on Twitter or Instagram. We're at SSGpod. And I'm on Instagram at Sam Brooks Presents. And don't forget to tune in next time to the Screenwriter Survival Guide.